Hi, I'm Brian Connolly. You're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball. Give us a shake. We're in the stew. We're here at Starbucks, tempted fate. You're a Putting questions to the Nilsson songs we randomly To the Radio 8-Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8-Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8-Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8-Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8-Ball app. If you're an iPhone user, it's free, and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations, just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Alan Abadessa asked, What, what am I not, uh, no, I don't want to phrase this. Um, what am I missing? What is in my blind spot? And received as his randomly chosen answer from the pop oracle, Hideaway, which is a demo I recorded in 2005. I really hate it when you break up with me. It's not like it's all that necessary You're free to be who you want to be And you know you want to be with me In our hideaway Hideaway meant one thing when I wrote it But in the context of this episode It's an apt description for the allure of movies Something our guest this week, Brian Connolly knows something about. Brian is a film director, a writer of and about cinema, and the former manager of Austin's famed Vulcan video store. Brian's also the co-host of the Director's Wall podcast, an old friend of mine from Olympia, and my new co-host on the new podcast, The World is Wrong, where Brian and I celebrate movies that the world is wrong about. The World is Wrong officially launches on August 18th, but you can check it out now at www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. I've been wanting to do a film podcast for several years now. I listen to them obsessively, and I hope it's something I'll be good at. I know that Brian is definitely someone with a unique taste and a deep well of film knowledge, so the show's going to be half excellent and half me. And if you're listening to this now, I guess my half is acceptable. So I hope you'll check it out, and I hope you like it. 
The first film we covered, the one that's up now, is called Mad Dog Time and is also known as Trigger Happy. It came out in 1996 and stars Jeff Goldblum, Richard Dreyfuss, Ellen Barkin, Gabriel Byrne, Gregory Hines, Diane Lane, Burt Reynolds, Kyle MacLachlan, Henry Silva, Michael J. Pollard, Rob Reiner, Christopher Jones, Billy Idol, and the film's writer-director, Larry Bishop. Every one of these actors is not only great in the film, but gets a chance to do something you've never seen them do. Take Gabriel Byrne, for instance. Have you ever seen him play funny? I mean, like Kevin Kline in A Fish Called Wanda funny? Well, in this film, he does. Have you ever seen Jeff Goldblum play a tough, sexy gangster gunfighter? No? Well, you can see that in Mad Dog Time. And yet... Nobody really knows about this film, and many of those who do only know of it because of a scathingly wrong review Roger Ebert wrote about it when it came out in 1996. This is exactly the sort of thing we are trying to correct with this podcast, and uh, like I said, I hope you'll check it out. I don't just think the world is wrong about Mad Dog Time, though. I think the world is pretty much wrong about everything, and yet... I can see how this attitude, this cynicism about things which are out of one's control, is also a kind of self-defeating insanity. In my interview with Larry Bishop that accompanies the first episode of The World is Wrong podcast, the thing that struck me most about him, beyond his passion for film and his intellect, was his utter lack of bitterness or self-pity regarding the treatment of his movie. In fact, all he did was share his appreciation for every aspect of the film and of his career. Now that's something I'd like to emulate. Here, let's try it out. Have I told you how much I appreciate those of you who have downloaded the app and are sharing it with your friends and loved ones, whether or not you're letting me know about it. Some of you are, and some of you aren't, but I really appreciate that you're playing this game with me on some level. And those lucky and precious few who have joined our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage after each of these episodes to hear my questions, uh, that means a lot. And I'm really grateful that you're, you know, that you're I don't know, having that kind of, that you're having that kind of faith in me, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it. And although there's only one of you who's written a review for us on uh, Apple Podcasts, I'm grateful for you. That one special person, you know who you are, Tony, and I appreciate you for doing that. Thank you. And I'm not just saying that to shame the rest of the world who have refused to do so making them wrong Uh, because this is about appreciation and I appreciate you for doing that and of course if you are listening to this and you haven't already please don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you will get our episodes as soon as they are released and before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the Pop Oracle Song of the Day from the day I had my conversation with Brian Connolly on August 5th, 2020. That song is Falling Into Place by Matthew Southworth, recorded on KAOS and Olympia on December 5th, 2006. 
The window that I put you through The glass was sugar but it caught me too It was sweet on the tongue but it got in our lungs And left us choking in blue The battle plan I drew was right But walking wounded we would not survive The footage I found showed us both as we drowned All alone side by side so our bed's unmade That's the way it's going to remain The saddest part of what I've seen Is that the break is so clean and all the cliches and the endless debates Now say just what you mean And all the things that you resent Are the things I've come to represent The writing on walls underneath wrecking balls That never took the hand And when you found me there I was only shaking off the pain we're falling into place And saving every face that We're both about to lose We're flying over states Determining the race that We're both about to lose When you found me there, I was only shaking off the pain. August 6th, 2020, hanging out, talking to our friend in Austin, Texas, my fellow film fanatic, the co-host of the new podcast, The World is Wrong, 
Welcome to Radio 8 Ball for the first time, Brian Connolly. Hello, it's good to be here. Is this really the first time you've been on Radio 8 Ball? Yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there was all, I, I should be asking you, there was all those years that I was doing Radio 8 Ball on Chaos. You never called in and asked a question? No, I guess I didn't. Yeah. I, uh... Uh, well, <laughs> well we're, we're, we're fixing that now. So uh, before we dive into talking about last week's episode and why you're here and all this stuff, how and where are you pandemicking, Brian? I'm in beautiful Pflugerville, Texas, which sounds like a Dr. Seuss village, but it's actually just a nice, uh, soon becoming a part of Austin. It's just one of those little towns on the outskirts, north side of Austin, that Austin is slowly, slowly engulfing and absorbing. And it's, it's great because uh, I'm really thankful that we bought a house with a huge yard a few years ago. So my wife and I live in a home with two great dogs, and we have like half an acre, so which is, you know, not bad. So it's good to being stuck at home for my and I literally have not left my house since March. Like I just refuse. So <laughs> Well you haven't left your house at all? Have you who's done is you haven't done any of the shopping? Oh, I yeah, I did do like I will pick up groceries, but that's it. Like I have friends that have been like attempting to hang out and you know, safe distance quarantine, you know, hangouts or like whatever. But I, I'm I like staying home so it doesn't bother me. So I really enjoy just, you know, teaching myself how to make various cocktails and just watching as many movies as possible. But this is sort of the pause button I always wanted in my life, to just to have time to selfishly watch movies. Like it's sad that it's under these circumstances. <laughs> but I was hoping it was because I'd get rich someday and just have time to spend four months watching movies. But instead, it's because of a pandemic. Oh, well. You are living the Burgess <laughs> Meredith fantasy. <laughs> I it, it really is. I, you know what? I constantly reference that, but luckily I'm not going to sit on my glasses. I wear very good contacts and I keep very good care of them so I can keep watching these movies all day, every day. Nice, <laughs> nice. Well, that uh, that brings us to what you've been doing. Well, you, you have a podcast already that you are uh, you're well into your second season of, which is called The yeah. Director's, Director's Wall. You want to tell us a little bit about The Director's Wall? Yeah, it's it's fun. I do it with this uh, man named AJ Gonzalez, and him and I used to work together at this video store in town called Vulcan Video. And at Vulcan Video, we would get into many discussions and arguments about the auteur theory um, and whether it's real or not real. And we would have we have a director's wall, or we had a director's wall at the video store. And there would always be arguments on who deserved to be on the wall, who should be taken off the wall, like who's good enough, how do you determine this? Uh, should it be more than just a director? Uh, and so that kind of led to us being like, well, why don't we do a podcast where we kind of pick a filmmaker and go through everything that they kind of were creatively behind and just kind of see if there's something to the auteur theory and picking directors that maybe aren't normally studied as intently or as intensely, I mean. So, like, the first one we did was M. Night Shyamalan, and we went through everything. And now we're doing Coppola, which has been very interesting, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and it's just fun. It's just, like, really just thinking hard about every little, you know, thing these people make and whether, what does it mean? What does it mean to them and what does it mean to us? It's, it's fun. Now, I get how M. Night Shyamalan is a director who doesn't necessarily get 
you know, uh, a lot of coverage as an auteur, although certainly some. But uh, Coppola? I think the thing with Coppola that was interesting to me was that people study a certain part of his career and then they give up and they stop. Yeah, missing out. <laughs> and so it was like people don't, you know, like people know about the 70s stuff backwards and forwards. But then once he kind of, in many people's opinion, fell off and became terrible in the 80s, which I disagree with, uh, they just stopped analyzing and studying his movies, you know, and they aren't talked about as much. Like nobody's talking about Tucker, a man in his dream, and nobody's really talking about Petro. And that kind of leans into what our your the podcast will be doing is, is kind of about. But like I think with Coppola, it was like so many people look at him as kind of the poster child for you were great and then you were not great. What happened? You know, and I'm like, no, no, he's always interesting. He's always good. It's not just the Godfathers that are worth like looking into. It's like everything. And and I, I'm I'm that way with bands too. Like I don't like I feel like when people say like this is my favorite band, but I only like this small chunk of what they did and I'm like well then it's not your favorite band because if it's your favorite band you're going to take the mistakes and the screw-ups and the things that were disasters and find the good interesting things out of it oh, um yeah. and that's and that's what i'm doing with couple <laughs> nice yeah uh I, i'm a hot take here if i was going to make my top my top Coppola list. I don't think the Godfather films would make it into the top three. I don't think they'd make it into the top five. So, uh, I I agree with you. <laughs> and I, and this is not to say they're not great films. They just would not make it into my top three or five. Yeah, no, that's uh, that. But that means I think you actually like him as a filmmaker. That you actually think that he is worth worth something. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's like the people who are really in the Orson Welles like. They're not just talking about Citizen Kane. They're going to go into after fake. They're going to go into like the trial, like the really, the really crazy, interesting stuff. Although I will say that if I was going to make a top, top two list of Orson Welles films, Citizen Kane would go on it. In the- yeah, well, bad, bad example, I guess, of the best movie of all time. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's also just that he, like, as 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 hard, as tough a time as Coppola may have had. It doesn't even, it pales in comparison to the difficulties Wells face. But let's, this kind of is, let's guess yeah. us to where, uh, where, what we're here to talk about. So uh, the reason that you're here on this podcast, so last week the answer to Alan's question came from me, one of my own songs, which, all, which opens up this whole conundrum of like, well, I could either do a show where I interview myself, which I've done, it's not fun. <laughs> Uh, and uh, or come up with some other interesting idea. And because we ended up talking so much about film on that podcast and because you and I are on the verge of releasing a new podcast called The World is Wrong Podcast, where we focus on championing films that have not got their critical or even popular due, we think. Yeah, I just thought, well, this would be a great time to have you on. When this, the week this comes out, will be the week that we release our first, uh, our first couple of podcasts. So it's uh, that's that's one of the reasons that you're here. You want to talk a little bit about? Uh, let's see, give your take on on the world is wrong for our audience. <laughs> I, I think it's it's great because it's the comp- because you and I have known each other a long time, and we often, I mean, always 
to end up talking about movies most of the time we hang out. Like you came here a few years ago, like was it three, four years ago? And at the end, you were here for like three days, I think. And at the end of it, I think this is on your way, like away to the airport. You're like, Brian, I've never talked about movies so much <laughs> in that many days in a row. And I'm like, this is what I, this is how my brain works. And so I just one, just like talking about these things. And we ourselves will get into these little pockets of conversation where we're kind of defending these movies that we really like that most people don't like. And I certainly had to deal with that a lot working at a video store uh, is that people come in, ask for a recommendation, I'll hand them something and they'll look at me like, no, I'm not going to watch that. And maybe like, but give it a chance. It's good. It's like, but I heard it was bad. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. And those people are wrong. You're like, I'm telling you it's good. So that's one person. And that's all you really need to give it a chance. Right. Uh, and I think it's great that we're we're doing we're going to be doing that and going through not just the movies we love personally, but ones that I think I'm going to take a chance on and watch because I heard it was bad and probably find that it's actually interesting and we'll talk about it. Yeah, one of the things you said on one of our first episodes that I really liked was you were just like, this whole idea that it's so bad it's good is has a huge <laughs> fallacy at the center of it because if you think it's good then it's not bad right yeah <laughs> and and just there, there's some there's some weird sort of like i don't know shame and self-aggrandizement that's in that of like i'm better than this film but i still like it and isn't that cool that I like this thing that's so bad. Look at they're so bad making their dumb movie, but look at how smart I am that I can enjoy it. And it's like, no, they yeah. made a great movie. <laughs> and you're just like, you're like the guy who's like afraid, like, who's like, yeah, I went out with her, but I didn't really like her. Yeah, if you went out with her, you liked her. You don't have to like dog her <laughs> after the fact because you're embarrassed that she doesn't fit like somebody else's idea of what's attractive or cool. It's just, yeah. I, I and I, I think there's a way that we both, I, maybe even to an unhealthy degree, like movies more than we like people. <laughs> Yeah, movies and dogs are much better than people in my in my. They opinion. can't defend themselves. Uh, like a movie can't defend itself. <laughs> it needs us to defend it. And and it's interesting. I think too, it has to do with that you and I have seen so many movies. Like we've gone through the best of lists that other people have made. We've gone through the Oscar movies. We've seen the AFI hundred. Like we've seen. We've gone down all the rabbit holes. So many of them because we've been movie fans always. Like I've been one since. I think one of my first memories is watching a movie. Maybe my first memory. <laughs> so, like, it's... Uh, when you've seen that, when you've ingested that much of, of, a, of an art form that you like so much, you're going to start to find interesting things in the, in the things that have been thrown away. Because, like, that, like, that's where you're at now. I'm on the ground looking for more things to pick up because I've seen all the other stuff. And that's when you, that's when you start embracing things that everybody, you know, spat upon. Because you're like, well, wait a minute, like, wait, like, what's this movie? I didn't watch it because it, it was bad. But it's actually there's something really interesting here. Oh, now I have a new thing that I can be excited about that I didn't even know about. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much what we do on every episode of The World Is Wrong. On each episode, one of us picks a film that we then talk about. We talk about how the world is wrong about it, 
Because you might look at one and be like, wow, that's a popular film. Why do you, why are you saying the world is wrong about it? Well, there's a, we have our own personal reasons. As you say, we talk to a lot of people. It could just be that we had one friend who had a really bad hot take on a film that we loved that we had to deal with for a lot of time because we worked with that person. And then we give that context of why we think the world is wrong about it. Other ones, the world has either ignored them or there, there are some films that we cover that are roundly despised and unjustly so yeah uh yeah or just ignored like movies that didn't even register hate just registered nothing like you know and we're gonna just save it from the apathy and make it great i guess let's talk about let's just give out some of the names of some of the films we covered we've we've recorded as of this recording right now we have recorded six episodes yeah Uh, what are your three films we started with the Paperboy, the Lee Daniels masterpiece. Then we did, um, what was the second one? Oh, After Last Season. And then The Imposters, the Stanley Tucci film. And of those, probably After Last Season most fits the bill as a film that people really don't, might not know. And if they did, they only heard it in that way of like, you hear about the room, like it's so bad, it's good. But just to be clear, if you listen to that episode, you genuinely love that film and you have a lot of reasons why. And it makes it a great episode. And if you thought you didn't, if you either watch that film through the prism of, oh, it's so bad, it's good, or you never watch that film... I think that that's a really great example of what we do on our show and makes you really go back and like, okay, well, this person has a lot of ideas about this film. With that in my mind, maybe I'll get something out of it. And the, the three films that I that I chose were Larry Bishop's Mad Dog Time, a.k.a. Trigger Happy from 1996, the film Mordecai. Mm, love that film. Watched it again last night, just so you know. It's like my 15th watch since it came out. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, the... The, the Strange Love. Yeah, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, a Barbara Stanwyck film from 1946. And all of them films that I, uh, that I just, I love and champion all the time. And it's the kind of, that it makes this show, as much as I love hosting Radio 8 Ball, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm having a fantastic fling I've been in this 20-year relationship with this 20-plus-year relationship with Radio 8 Ball, and I get to, here's like a little little fun on the side. <laughs> with these, so I'm like, I'm the boss's secretary, is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I don't, am, am I the boss? Yeah, you're always the boss. No, I think, of, I think of you as more like, uh, you know, what would it be like? Uh, I'm trying to think of someone from a movie who would be a good example. Uh, sort of like, uh, yeah, you're more like Virginia Madsen in the hot spot. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're set what you're setting me up for. I just want to hang out. I, I have this nice thing going with Jennifer Connelly, and you're all luring me off into some dangerous territory and setting me up for who knows what. I can go for that. Of course, we're referring to the Dennis Hopper masterpiece, The Hot Spot. And in this in this case, yeah. I'm painting myself as a, uh, a less attractive uh, Don Johnson. Because <laughs> everyone's a less attractive Don Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a Don Johnson at all. So, uh, 
So again, that's that's the kind of conversations you can look forward to on the World Is Wrong podcast. You can check us out at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. And as soon as Apple Podcasts accepts, uh, figures out why they're not accepting the podcast, uh, you'll be able to find it on all your podcast formats. So, Brian, uh, but you're here ostensibly to discuss last week's uh, reading with Alan Abadessa Green, his question of what are my blind spots, and, uh-huh. uh, and my song, Hideaway. I really hate it when you break up with me. It's not like it's all that necessary. You're free to be who you want to be, and you know you want to be with me. What do you think about that particular mm-hmm. reading and anything else that sort of, that came out of that episode? It sounds like you it, it really affected you. Uh, interesting. I mean, uh, so that question it's it's an interesting question, and it's you know he's making those films uh, with hindsight twenty twenty. Is that what they were called? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Film series, and uh, and that's you know very much about you know asking that question of blind you know what are my blind spots? What am I missing? And uh, and, I, and it was interesting because it it um, he talked a lot he talked a bit about being divorced in that episode mm-hmm. and kind of and not and not ta- not kind of dealing with it in the way that he uh, wished he did uh, and I think that's a big thing like when you talk about uh, blind spots and things like that's definitely kind of how a lot of relationships end or what kind of the beginning. <laughs> Because you look back at it and like, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I notice that I was doing this weird thing, you know? And then and then it's answered with a song that the first line is kind of about a breakup, mm-hmm. which I thought was interest, interesting. And then it's, you know, it's, a, it's been talking about this hideaway. And I, I just feel like that, like that that was interesting. Of just the idea of like, what is my blind spot? And then the answer is, just hideaway. <laughs> like in the song, it's done like it's, like it's kind of a nice thing, like the hideaway. Am I yeah. right? Am I interpreting like the hideaway was like a nice thing? And and then it was interesting because he talked about his anxiety during COVID, and then sort of, but he embraced living in the suburbs, and that's sort of like his little peaceful hideaway. And like maybe just like the blind spot is like really even more embracing that like having this kind of nice peaceful place like that's a good way to fight your anxiety like like be thankful you don't live in the city anymore like you can sit in the backyard and just meditate and have peace and actual peace and quiet and not hear your neighbors coughing and be worried like it's your it is your nice little hideaway and so maybe that's the what he's missing is like the truly embraced the, the peace and quiet that is in like living away from the city and having you know like that's a good way to lower your anxiety. Yeah, everyone needs their own their own <laughs> Pflugerville. <laughs> Find your inner Pflugerville. Like, and if you are a person who lives in an apartment and you are in New York City or wherever then maybe it's good to like go within and find the open space within you and and and, and breathe. You know. Yeah. Like find the hideaway inside. Yeah, you. the blind. Well, and the blind spot. I guess when I got that when I when I hold space for these readings, I always think of it in terms of his question. What if it was my question? And so I end up having a very personal response to it. And and so yeah, I'm still sort of like still reckoning with that reading. 
and what it says about blind spots. Like there's a certain, I, I think that there's a ten, I think because of the song, there's a tendency to want to talk about sort of appreciating the hideaway because that's sort of where we're all at. Yeah. It, I guess it's almost, it's, it's sort of like this idea of like, you may think it's rough now. These are the good times. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the blind and, spot. And, 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 yeah. And, and there's a lot of people I'm talking to, like friends and family who are kind of looking at this as a lost year of like, this is the year I'm going to lose. And it's like, well, you might regret that if you treat it, if you believe in that and treat it that way, then yeah, it will be. And you'll regret that because you'll be like, oh, that was the time when I could be home and maybe like ponder my life and think about things and actually do something, you know, as opposed to sitting around and just like binging Netflix. Yeah. Like maybe use this, maybe use this time to learn to play guitar or paint or just reach out to loved ones or appreciate, like this should be the time where we're really appreciating what we have. And that maybe that'll be the people's blind spot is not appreciating. I mean, that's what I think, like, what's my blind spot? The answer is hideaway. That's very interesting <laughs> for <laughs> what we're going through right now. Right. Because uh, I'm not going to have this be a wasted year. Like, I don't want, like, I, because we only have so many years in our lives. So let's make the most of it even through the hard times. Well, you've been, you've, you've managed to keep one podcast going and start a, <laughs> start a second one. And yeah. you're also working on, I guess, editing your the film you shot earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exciting. Working on that. Uh, What's that on, film called? Uh, well, right now it's called Actual Reality, but I'm totally going to change that title. <laughs> really? And but it, it was interesting because it ended up being kind of about COVID before it even happened in a way. And so now I'm like, do I need to like add things to the movie to make it kind of even more resonate with what's happening? It's just kind of interesting. Um, Can you explain and, and how the, it was about COVID without being about COVID? Uh, well, the movie is about, uh, it takes place now, and it's about these people making this big Hollywood movie. And, we, and it's them making Robin Hood. And you have this sort of, uh, you know, Big, direct, big Hollywood director making this movie. And everyone's kind of, it's sort of like the, I'm kind of making it like it's the last movie ever made with people in a place. And then a hundred years go by and everyone got so absorbed with making things on the computer and not wanting to leave the studio or their house that has only made things virtually in the computer and has gave up using people or places or anything. Oh wow. And then and then it takes place in the future where this where the computers all break and the people have to learn how to make a movie again with people and going outside and doing things and that's what the movie's about. Um and I found that interesting. I was like, oh maybe I should make the note between with the jumps from the present to the future that like the reason why everybody stopped making movies is because they had to, because the pandemic will last you know, a hundred years in the movie, and then we're finally able to go outside and make and learn how to make something again. Because, like, I I'm a screenwriter too, and I write stuff with my good friends at Carlson. And all the meetings we've been having, when we've been lucky enough to still have meetings through Zoom and stuff, have only been about animation stuff because everybody's terrified of even the idea of thinking about how do we go make a movie with people in a room standing next to each other again. So I just thought it was interesting that my movie ended up being kind of about that. 
before I knew that was an actual problem we'd be having. Hmm. I, I'm surprised I didn't even ask you this before. Uh, that's um, that's exciting. That's great. And and let's uh, I, because Alan brought up some film stuff, and because there's sort yeah. of a synchronicity with Steve McQueen, because one of the next films yeah. we're going to be talking about is his film The Hunter, and yeah. he also talked a fair amount about one of your favorite film directors and one of mine as well, but someone who you list as one of your top favorite film directors, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Did you have yeah. any take on any of the ideas he threw out? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, like, he, he brought up The Hateful Eight, which is which was great because I think out of all the Tarantino movies of recent, that's the one I've had to defend the most because a lot of my friends did not like it at all. Fools. And I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. And then talking about Four Rooms is even more interesting because that is a movie that kind of had a big effect on me as a younger person because that was a movie that nobody liked and then I watched it and I, it was like my favorite movie <laughs> that when I saw it I was like I love this movie so much and then that kind of helped open the door in a way to be getting really into Jerry Lewis because that movie is so much like clearly trying to do a Jerry Lewis thing a bit with the, with the wacky bellboy and then there's a part where Tarantino talks about Jerry Lewis and the bellboy and then that movie sort of like changed the bellboy that movie changed my life and so I thought that was really interesting. And then bringing up Steve McQueen in the context of the Elvis Shocks Presents episode is interesting because recently I've been thinking a lot about Damien Lewis playing Steve McQueen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how interesting that was that that was dropped in that movie. Talk about that a little bit because I thought that was... I, I had a really interesting reaction to that too, but I'm curious what yours was. <laughs> uh, I loved it. I loved it because, well, I loved him as an actor... And I never thought that he really looked like Steve McQueen. But damn, in that scene, I'm like totally like, this is him doing Steve McQueen, and it totally works. And I love that Steve McQueen's just there to kind of explain the relationships between these people for the audience to the character. And it's just like this weird little, it's just like that great kind of Tarantino scene where you just drop a character in for one moment, then they're gone. And I really, I think it was really funny and interesting that they're like, and the person will be Steve McQueen. <laughs> and, and it's kind of a tender moment, but it's a tender moment explained by, you know, what we mostly know as a kind of a tough guy, you know, action movie, Steve McQueen. So I thought that was just really fascinating and, and great. Yeah, I was, uh, did you have this experience where you, like, you saw him and you realized what you were doing, they were doing, and you're like, this isn't going to work. He, and then he started then he started acting and you're like holy shit this is this is the magic of acting it's working it's working <laughs> i am believing this even though i don't believe this i believe this this is amazing yeah that was a great moment yeah and you just forget that like when people that are really talented get together they can actually make something that's good you know, i don't need to question it it's uh, i should have trusted them from the get go that they knew what they were doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were if you were going to cast someone to play Steve McQueen, who is who would you have th obviously you, neither of us would have thought of Damian Lewis. Is there someone you would have thought no. of? See, it's so hard. It's so hard when you cast people in movies to play people that you've seen so many times. Like it's easy to put Johnny Depp in as Ed Wood because I'm not familiar too much with how Ed Wood 
looked. Yeah, unless like you watch Glenn or Glenda or something. Like it's not really like in the public's mind, like locked in. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's and it's and it, but it totally worked. And like I don't know. I think I'd be stuck on like thinking of other actors who are Steve, like Steve McQueen. So you're like, oh, is it George Clooney? Is it uh, like I don't know? Is it Jason Statham? Like he drives a lot of cars and movies. Is it Vin Diesel? Like I don't know. Okay. And Vin so, Diesel. Like, I think that. <laughs> I was I was thinking Gosling because of the driver, you know, all that driving stuff. Yeah. But, but like he's not but they he's not hard that, enough. That, you need someone who has like. <laughs> That like hell is for heroes intensity. But there's not a lot of people like that in movies at all. Yeah, if there were lots of Steve McQueens, there, then it wouldn't be so special to be Steve McQueen. Exactly, and and it was interesting casting. It reminded me of uh, did you like did you ever see Doctor Strange? Yeah, Doctor Strange. Sorry, Uh, 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 the sequel to The Shining. What's that called? Doctor. Oh, Doctor Sleep. In Doctor Sleep, they go to show you, they go to the Overlook, and then here's the character that we know as Jack Nicholson, but in the movie it's played by Henry Thomas, which you would never think to do, but it really worked. Like him, Henry Thomas, as the Jack Nicholson character in The Shining, totally works, because you're not thinking, oh, it's just someone doing a Jack Nicholson impersonation, it's Henry Thomas kind of doing his version of the character, and it totally works. You know, and I really I think it just takes a very smart filmmaker, a very smart production to kind of see like what's good within an actor, emotionally emotions they can bring to it and not so much be like, oh, it has to be Christian Slater because he's like Jack Nicholson or whatever, you know, like or Rich Little. Like you actually get somebody who can act and play amazing, you know, an amazing role. Like I think it's better than just putting a bunch of makeup on someone and having them. It's, it's the difference between doing an impersonation and actually playing the character and giving the character justice. I kind of like that Henry Thomas is having a, this second chapter as yeah, just sort of like a go-to character actor. I just saw him yeah. in... Uh, he was really great in The Haunting, the, the remake, oh, the yeah. TV remake. Of the haunting of oh, Hill House, yeah. did you see that? Oh yeah, he's amazing in that. He's yeah. so good. Yeah, it was yeah. the last. I think the last horror convention that I was at was in Germany, and Henry Thomas was there. And I remember uh, <laughs> this was a crazy night. I ended up getting in this really loud, drunken uh, political argument with Robert England. <laughs> like we just were like it was one of those like we're both uh we're both not republicans but we're very different sides of the democratic divide and (laughs) just like freaking everyone else around it's like voices voices because he gets loud and then when he gets loud i get loud and we're just (laughs) and sort of as we're walking out like sort of embarrassed afterwards henry thomas and his crew i don't know i guess they're from the haunting of hill house maybe it was for they were there for something else uh, and I was just like, oh, I was like, you know, hey, I just, I saw you at Haunting of Hill House and, and you were really great. And you, and he, you kind of got this sense that no, no, people aren't saying that to him. Cause he was like, oh, thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot. And he, and I kind of thought that he was on my side in the argument. I feel like he gave me a little <laughs> bit of a wink. Anyway, I don't know when there'll be another horror convention. You know, we're not going to be getting together with, Yelling, I'm not going to be yelling in Robert England's face anytime soon. <laughs> um, but going back to the, uh, oh, the last episode, 
I, thought, I, thought, I really liked it, too, when he talked about driving through the redwoods at night and talked about vertigo. Oh, yeah. And, and, there's something, and there's something about driving through the woods at night that always reminds me of, like, that's very David Lynch. Like, that's very much, like, it's lit by headlights and seeing the trees, and there's just kind of emptiness behind it all. And that's a really beautiful image, that going through the redwoods at night. But then he talked about Mount Rushmore, and then I was hoping he was going to talk about North by Northwest. Like, let's keep going with the Hitchcock movies and the, and the famous, uh, you know, American locales. Ah, yeah. But it wasn't mentioned. No. Nope. <laughs> from Vertigo to Redwoods to Mount Rushmore, no North by Northwest. No North by Northwest. No. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, oh, what, what do you think about his whole riff on Robert Rodriguez doing all the foot stuff in his episode of The Four Rooms? The Four Rooms. I, I've seen, so I've seen the movie a lot. I don't think there's anything there. To, I don't think it has as much meaning as he thinks it is. But at the same time, if it has meaning for anybody, then that means something. Right. It, it just kind of, it's like, it's, it, it's very interesting about the whole episode, and this may turn into a, a much longer conversation, but I, I run screaming away from synchronicity. I hate it. I run, I run far <laughs> into the hills Jeez. away from it. Why? Like, bec- bec- because, it, it's because, because I, ha- because I am obsessive compulsive, because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, all day long, I'm obsessed about synchronicities. Like all day long, I have to think about it and get scared of it and get worried about it and it affects me. And, I, and I've had to learn over the years that I have to kind of not latch onto those thoughts so much because it'll just take away my days. Like I've had to, you know, like it, it's like when you get that far into um, making those kind of connections with things. If you have OCD, like I do, like it really starts to drive you crazy and kind of takes over your whole life. So like for other people, it's really fun. But for me in particular, just personally, like I can't lean into it too far or else it'll kind of like ruin my whole week. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do to you with this show. No, no, no. no, that's 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 why I found it very interesting. Because I'm like, this is me forcing myself to get into stuff that I really am apprehensive about because of, of, of uh, having OCD. So like him talking about the feet stuff with the kids in four rooms, like that my brain does it all day long about everything. <laughs> and then I'll get locked in on it. And then I'll just be like, okay, I need to not like, because I did this doesn't mean my mom's going to die. And because I do this doesn't mean I'm going to get cancer. And because I do this doesn't mean, like, it's just like all day, that's kind of what, because I have this specific type of OCD that is intrusive thoughts. So it has no, less to do with moving physical things around. It's all in my mind. And so I have to, like, meditate every day and go through all these exercises and do stuff to kind of, like, to kind of dull the obsessive, obsessing over connections of things in the world and in my head. So I think that's why I find it very amusing and very interesting that this is what your show's about. Because I would imagine that if I did your show all the time, I would have great anxiety. <laughs> I have great anxiety. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not I'm not like I'm not dissing what you do. I think it's great and I think it totally works for other people, but just for my particular uh, mental illness, it's it's a thing that I have to kind of purposely tread lightly around. Usually. Got it. If that makes sense. No, it totally, totally <laughs> makes sense. And then, and then it makes me question, like, 
what's the difference between synchronicity and superstition and conspiracy and religion? And then I just get into this big mess in my mind. And maybe you can answer these questions for me. Help me out. That's the terrain. <laughs> I mean, I would say that synchronicity is a genuine, pheno- a genuine phenomenon in the sense that a psychological phenomenon can be a genuine thing. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like synchronicities don't exist outside of human consciousness, but it is a facet of human consciousness that synchronicity yeah. is a real thing. And then some people see conspiracies there some people see religion there some people see mental illness there some people (laughs) you know it's sort of like what there's a real thing and then there's what we make of it and yeah for those for people like me what you make of it is like whoa that feels cool let's do more of that (laughs) for some people it means oh the gray aliens are controlling my brain yeah, and if for me, I just curl up into a ball and say, I'm a horrible person, no, I want to die. No, 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 oh boy, I, yeah, well, I'm going to do, there's... And so that's why I think this could be an interesting conversation, we're going to have not just about movies, but about just the whole idea of synchronicity, because yeah, for me, it's a terrifying experience, like, I... If I can tell, can I tell you a story of synchronicity real yeah. quick that happened to yeah. me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first day of college, uh, not at Evergreen, but I transferred to another college. And I got off the bus, and I saw one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh my God, this lady's beautiful. Like, do I ask her out? Like, what do I do? And I was like, I I can't do this. I can't. Like, not the first day of school. Like, like this lady's already dealing with enough. I'm just going to go to my class. And so I go, and I'm trying to find my class. And I'm just trying to forget about this lady, being like, move on, move on. And then I find my class, and I sit down, and then, and then the person who sits next to me is that lady <laughs> who I saw on the bus, like, a mile on the other side of the college. And I just panicked. And I was like, what are the chances that she's going to sit next to me out of all the people in the world? And I ran out of the classroom. I threw up, and I didn't go back to school. <laughs> like it freaked me out so much. Oh my god! I, was like, I can't. I can't. I can't deal with it. And have you ever? Off. Have you ever uh, watched a romantic comedy, Brian? <laughs> that is called a meat cute. You. <laughs> romantic comedies are horror films, Andra. They're horror films to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's fantastic. That is a short film I want you to make. Yeah. It's like, wow, it's, you know, the, the, that's that great scene in, uh, in Citizen Kane where the lawyer talks about how he saw that one young woman on a, on a train platform. And then he's thought about her every day since. Yeah. That story would have a whole other meaning if he had rushed from the train platform, thrown up, and never gone back to that city. You know, it was a rough I love week. it. I love it. That was... A, that was... <laughs> but I don't... Like, I get... I get terrible. When things line up, usually I have to, like, pause for a second and be like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Like, recently, uh, my wife's uh, mother passed away. And it was really hard, of course. 
But we went, she, they decided to have a, like a celebration of life at this restaurant. And we were there, and by chance, there was a, a couple there that had like eight puppies. And we just locked in on this one puppy, and we were just like, well, clearly that's our puppy, and clearly your mother would have wanted us to get this dog. And we got the dog, and we've had it ever since, and it's been this great dog. And it's like, if we hadn't gone to this restaurant at the time, this dog wouldn't have been there. And it was taking us a while to find a new dog. We weren't really connecting with any. And then we connected with this one at the at the celebration of life. So, like, not all synchronicity back <laughs> in my life. <laughs> that was a good thing that lined up. Well, uh, yeah, and I mean, obviously, things worked out. In your yeah. romantic life, so it didn't have to happen with that person. But man, <laughs> boy, that's, I think, I think your reaction to that synchronicity is going to stress me out as much as that synchronicity stressed you out. Now I'm going to be obsessed with what might have been between you and this woman. You know, it was a good, it was a good thing. I shouldn't have... I didn't need to be dating anyone then anyway. So I wish it, I was, it all worked I, out for the best. Man, I wish I'd been, you know, I wish you'd called me at the time. No, you're like, hey, my, I have my friend with the synchronicity guy. Anyway. Uh, okay. Well, it, you, now I want to I wanna move on to talking about to the, the pop oracle song of the day to for today. But, uh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really reeling from this is... This is some new information for me because I'm going to bring a lot of synchronicity to our to our movie conversations. I think, of course, bring bring it. Okay, because that's how I experience film. To me, that is like it is is when I see a film and I'm able to project myself onto it, or I like the character is talking about something that I'm thinking about, or. Like a yeah. lot of times I multitask and I'll be writing a sentence and then the character will say, use a word that's in that sentence. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm in sync with this film. Yeah. I'm living with it. That happened yeah. uh, That happened for me yesterday when I was watching the classic Sam Whiskey starring yeah. Burt Reynolds, Ozzie Davis, and Angie Dickinson. Whew, what a film. We'll talk about it on a future episode of The World is Wrong, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the Pop Oracle song of the day for today, which is by Matthew Southworth, and the song being... Falling Into Place. Falling Into Place, yes, which was recorded on Radio 8 Ball on December 5th, 2012. The window that I put you through The glass was sugar, but it caught me too it was sweet on the tongue, but it got in our lungs. And interestingly, Matthew Southworth is uh, was a, is a many things. He has a, he has had a career in film. He's had a career in music, and also as a comic as a, a comic book artist for Fantagraphics, who put out your book, Destroy All Movies. Yeah, correct. They're so, a great company. There's a whole synchronicity there. Are you familiar with Matthew? Were you familiar with Matthew before you heard the song? I, I was not. No, I was not familiar. Yeah, he's a. He used to work for. I, I'm just getting this off of his Wikipedia, but he used to work for Tom Cruise's company. Oh. And he's an uncredited writer on the film Suspect Zero. Interesting. Did you ever see Suspect Zero? No, but I've heard of it. I know of the movie. It's uh, written by. It was. Uh, based on a first draft by Zach Penn, who's the writer of at least one film that you want to cover 
on the World is Wrong podcast. Do you know which one? No, which one? Ready Player One. Oh, there you go. He's a busy man. Yes, that's Zach Penn. Zach Penn. But let's go back to talking about Matthew Southworth. So, yeah, so he he is an uncredited writer on Suspect Zero. He worked for Tom Cruise's company. He had this band, The Capillaries, and played with a bunch of Seattle bands of the early aughts, like The Long Winters and Harvey Danger and Ian Moore. And uh, yeah, and and like I said, he's like he's he has this odd synchronicity with you. Before we talk about the song, do you want to just tell the audience what "Destroy All Movies" is? Sure. Yeah, it's um, is a book that I, I I made with my friend Zach, and we just wanted to catalog every punk that was ever in a movie ever. Any any character having to do with punk rock in a movie. And we thought of it one night thinking it would be really easy, being like, okay, it's like 100 movies, like that's, you know, suburban. Oh, there's the Road Warrior, you know. And then, like, the more we kept thinking, the list got longer. And then we decided, you know, we're just going to have to watch every movie ever made between when punk was going to a term and at the end of the testicular 20th century. So that's what we did. We went through every movie ever made from 1975 to 1999 and found about 1,500 punks and movies and we counted like guys in the background of a Bette Midler movie crossing the street who to this day don't know they're in a movie like not even a, an actual extra but someone on the street uh, so like we're we went, we went hard into it uh, and we're working on a second edition because we found another 800 movies uh, in the last 10 years so it's, it's, it's kind of like that's me leaning into my OCD in a good way <laughs> obsessing over catal- cataloging every uh, one of these movies with uh, punks in it. And uh, yeah, Fantagraphics were nice enough to put it out, crazy enough to put it out, which was great because they tend to only do comic stuff and graphic novels. So the fact that they took a chance on a film guide was really great of them. And it paid off well. It sold out. And now it's like uh, majorly out of print. And I couldn't even afford a copy. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully it'll be re-released uh, in the next two years and updated and revised and made cheap again so people don't have to pay $400 for it. Wow. Uh, and did how did you hook up with Fanagraphics? Zach used to work there when he was like 14. He was an intern there. Huh? And then we had some friend. We had a friend who worked in it named Jason Miles, who's a great guy. I don't know if you ever remember him. He's an Olympia boy. And we just kind of sent him the manuscript saying like, and it was the first person we sent it to because we were just sort of like, we don't know how to get a book published. Like, I have no idea. And so we just sent it in being like, we like the way your books look. So even though this isn't a graphic novel, like we would love the way that, we would love to have this book look the way that your books look. Because we really like the way Fanagraphics books look. Like just looking at it on a shelf. It's a beautiful work of art on its own. And they didn't really know what to do with it right away. And then I think it was the son of of one of the uh, of the, one of the founders on the heads of Fanagraphics, I got a hold of it, and was like, and his son was, I think, a teenager, and he was just like, "This is crazy," and he showed it to his dad, and he's like, "Dad, this is crazy. Like, what these guys did. Like, why did they do this? Like, this is insane. Why would anyone do this?" <laughs> and and he was like, "Yeah, you're right. This is interesting. This is crazy. Okay, let's put it out." <laughs> and so then they put it out, uh, which was very nice of them, and they are the best people to work for. They are so great. Uh, they're out of Seattle, and they're just, like, not a bad person there. It's, it's a wonderful place, Fanagraphics. Well, speaking of the not-bad people there, let's get back to Matthew Southworth and his song, <laughs> Falling Into yeah. Place. Uh, 
do you have any particular synchronicity, and uh, I tread lightly in this, any particular <laughs> synchronicity with that song, with Matthew, with the date of uh, whatever that is, January, uh, December 5th, 2012? December 5th, 2012. Uh, I can't remember quite what I was doing in 2012, but the song is interesting to me because I was thinking a lot this morning and this week about COVID and its effect on relationships. Because this is basically kind of what a break, like a breakup song. It's, it's like it's a, a, a yeah. unhappy relationship song, I would say. Right. Yeah. And it just, it's been so heavily in my mind recently and because, I mean, I'm very lucky to have a very good relationship right now. But thinking about like, man, if I was in COVID with some other people, this might not have worked out so well. And I think that's happening to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are going through, they're are going to go through a hard breakup because they're stuck together. <laughs> and, and what started as a nice thing, like I liked his line in the song, the glass of sugar, but it cut me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's really good. That's, a, that's some good songwriting, people. But like, I'm just thinking about, I was thinking a lot about the people whose relationship started in like January and then they decided to move in together for COVID thinking it would just last a few weeks and now they're still living together and they hate each other <laughs> and it's just going to be, it's getting worse and worse and like, I think so many relationships are going to end because of this. Uh, I mean, I think a lot will get stronger too. But like I can just see like divorce lawyers like really cleaning up like in 2021. Uh, I think the amount of the amount of distraction people have had in this world, they never had to spend as much time with their significant other, and they're starting to learn all the little crazy details of of everyone's life, and that it's, I think it might not end well for most people. Um, yeah, and like there's a line in the song, uh, like flying over the states, determining the race that we're like both about to lose. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I just can see people like <laughs> stuck together, knowing that they're going to break up, but they can't leave yet because there's this disease in their home town, and they're just got to live together until it's done. Like knowing it's going to end, but you're just still stuck together. That's rough, and that's just been so in my mind. And so then hearing this song just made me think so much about like what I'm worrying about all my friends and family members that might have a relationship that kind of comes out you know bitter in the end yeah there's a there's a couple of things that that jumped out to me well first of all that line about the sugar the glass being made of sugar is a is something that's reference referencing cinema that's a you know that's what they would if they're you're doing a stunt and you had someone asked to yeah get thrown out of window you don't use a real glass window you use a glass this shatter glass that's sugar a sugar yeah. glass so i thought yeah. it was interesting that we're going to be talking about so when i saw this was the song of the day i was like oh fantagraphics that connects with brian cinema that connects with our our film podcast the that flyover thing and the, it just seemed like it was referencing the election you know when you're talking about the race we're both going to lose and flyover states i think of the way that sort of uh, media elites on the yeah. on the coasts sort of yeah. ignore the quote flyover states at their peril and our peril. 
So all of that was there. And then when you were talking, I got this great, horrible idea for like a COVID relationship comedy thriller in the style of like maybe the War of the Roses. Where there's so like this the situation that you brought up, this, that's it. Like these couple, they move in, they get there together, and then it's horrible. And then one of them and I guess in my mind I thought it was the guy, but I guess it could be either one. But one of them realizes this is such hell that they're like, I would rather die of COVID <laughs> than this. And then so they go out and they pers- they engage in all this risky behavior. And they're like, one of us is going to die. I'm going to kill. I'll either kill both of us. I'll kill one of us. And either way, if it's me, fine. And so you have this one person who's living there trying to be super safe and the other one going out and trying to do all like do everything they can to engage in risky behavior and then you know and then basically what what will be the heartwarming thing is that like they end up catching it and then their the partner ends up being like so nice to them that they feel terrible that they did this and they actually fall in love i don't know you probably have a better better idea of how to end that but uh, anyway, I just thought the thought of that um, falling into place. Yeah. The new, the new Covidian romantic uh, comedy slash horror from the from the people who brought you actual reality and the savage streets. It's interesting too that the song that was picked was by a person who also has a big film career as a film writer. I don't think you have a lot of songs by people who also do movies other than you and a few but like the chances of that are pretty pretty that's pretty fun that that lined up yeah you know yeah like all movies movies are everywhere movies are my life <laughs> it's all falling into place man <laughs> it's all falling into place also I you know something about South Worth like what is the South Worth Matthew Southworth. You're we're talking to you in Austin, Texas. You're that's that's the South. Yeah. Uh you're talking to me in Olympia, Washington, which is the South Puget Sound. Yeah. So there's a lot of Souths out there. Anyway, uh even in the north we have our Souths. So uh well, having gone through uh, having gone through last week's episode and now we've covered the song of the day, it is now time for you, Brian Connolly, to engage the Pop Oracle. Do you have the Radio 8 Ball app open and I ready? I do. Let me, let me pull it up here. Um, hopefully I can still talk to you while this is... Uh, can, you, can you still hear me? I can. So I, I thought it was interesting listening to your podcast. And like I bet... That most of the songs that come up for answers are, are the, none of them are instrumental, or very few are instrumental. That they're all stuff with words in it. That you pull meanings from the words. And I've been very interested recently by just pulling meaning from sounds. And like I think it kind of began with part of my uh, therapy for obsessive compulsive disorder and intrusive thoughts is using EMDR. Are you familiar with what that is? Is that balancing your left and right side of your brain? Yeah. Yeah. So you, so I, I listen to basically these like electronic beeps that go from my left ear to my right ear, and it balances out left and right brain, and it's supposed to, and it does, and it calms my anxiety, and it calms my intrusive thoughts, and so I have to do it every day. So I do it every day, 
and doing that every day and like having sort of like these bleeps and these blots like help me <laughs> calm me down whatever is going on in my mind it calms me it gives me this great peace and I think because of it I've gotten really into listening to a lot of electronic music so like I've been like old electronic music like Tangerine Dream and Klaus Schultz and like these great kind of German like kind of like around the time of craft work, I guess, like part of that German, like not quite kraut rock, but like these German people, like being some of the first people really getting using electronic music to uh, make new music. And and I've just been thinking about like the power of, of just sounds. And so I guess my question, and I guess I'll just say it right now into the touch speak, right? Yeah. Can a question be answered by a song with no lyrics? Oh, yes. So I'm hitting the button. <sighs> because I've been getting such emotion and help through... Oh, a song has come up. <laughs> what is it? Caroline by Ian Moore. Oh. Wow. Okay. Thick unbroken clouds Washed out all the names Tired little towns Summer's gone away To some California coast Hey, I don't mind I never saw her around much anyway Oh, but I cannot be still That's coursing through my veins Songs that never live, oh, songs that stayed the same. Turned around the truth, they knocked you off your feet. The world was on your back, and you wouldn't carry that weight. Oh, and Caroline, you should capture their hearts while you. Still could, but you threw it away. Did you really think that you live forever? Caroline, one by one they fell, clinging to their names. Technology overflowing, flung from their brains. Till nobody knew the words Nobody knew to sing And nobody had the time To talk about it anyway Oh, and Caroline, you should Have captured their hearts While you still could But you just threw it away Oh, did you really think that you live forever? Well, Caroline, and they all just sold you down the line. Oh, and you're looking. 
looking for forgiveness every time you shut your eyes. Yeah, but you're faded and old, did they never tell you? performing Caroline on Radio 8 Ball on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. in Seattle on February 6th, 2009. And that was the answer to Brian's question, which, would you mind reading your question again, just so we get the exact wording? Sure. Can a question be answered by a song with no lyrics? And... Well, I have a lot of ideas, but what did you think about that as the answer to your question? <laughs> well, there were so many lines in there that was kind of about that in a way. Like he has washed out all the names, right? Mm-hmm. There's, uh, then there's clinging to their names. And then the real kicker, this is three in a row. Nobody knew the words. Nobody knew to sing. Nobody had the time to talk about it. So that, that those are in a row, those three lines basically about not being able to, uh, you know, explain things with words. 
Uh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's so much to me. What what's there's so much synchronicity in the context of this song that the words for me the words were almost well. That's just not where I, where I went in my interpretation of it. So let me just give you some facts. First of all, this is from Ian Moore's record Luminaria. And Matthew Southworth is on his Wikipedia is credited as having performed on the record Luminaria. Ian Moore lives in the Northwest, but he is from Austin, Texas. <laughs> You're in Austin. I'm in the Northwest. Yep. It's August 6th when we're recording this. Ian Moore was born on August 8th. And this song, this record was released on August 8th, 2004. His birthday is August 8th, 1968, which makes him four days older than me. And we've all, that's one of those <laughs> things we've shared. And in fact, the last time I saw Ian Moore was at uh, a big football stadium where the Dalai Lama was speaking. Speaking, but uh, the words, speaking in a different language, and so the words didn't matter. But the yeah. feeling tone of what he was saying mattered. Yeah. So all of those things provide answers without him having said, without before he's uttered a word. <laughs> uh, August 8th, also my brother's birthday. Oh. And, and it's also when I'm going to start beginning celebrating my birthday because I turn 40 on September 16th and 40 days before that is, is the eighth. Wow. Wow. So. 40, you're going to celebrate your birthday for 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I got to do. Uh, am I invited? <laughs> Everybody's invited. <laughs> okay. That's great. That's a very Leonine attitude you have. So, and then the, the other thing I just, I don't know if you noticed, but, when you were talking about the EMD, is that right? EMDR, yeah. EMDR therapy. I don't know if you noticed, but at the beginning of every Radio 8 Ball episode, at least in this season, I do this little thing where I say, you are listening to Radio 8 Ball Season 3, the happening, happening, happening. And... <laughs> I intentionally have that happening go from your left side of your from the left side of the speaker to the right side of the speakers and the headphones with the idea that it's like this mental palate cleanser to like get you ready to be open to to like just sort of let go of whatever I don't know is clogging up those synapses. So and I I wasn't I, and again I'm learning so much about you in this podcast that I never <laughs> knew. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Good. <laughs> I, I did want to say also, we do have one artist. There is one artist in the app who's been on the show who has, who performed all instrumental music. So we do, it, we, Interesting. and it does work. You can interpret without words. Of course. But I think that this particular reading just gave a lot of... I don't know, just, just added a lot of context. But is there anything else you got out of it? <laughs> I, found, I found it to be 
a, a much more calming song than the song of the day. It, it like it, it feels like they're both kind of about uh, you know troubled troubles in relationships. It seems like, but this one definitely had more of a calming effect on me than the other one we listened to, which was a little more harsher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they both work together well. Now, had you ever heard of Ian Moore before? No, no. I have not. Go around Austin, ask people about him. They'll be, <laughs> they'll know, they'll know, they'll know. Okay, well, um, if we don't have anything else there, I think we're, I think we're going to just move to the backstage portion of this show where I ask my question to the Pop Oracle for our Patreon subscribers. Before we go, though, once again. To let people know, please check out the World is Wrong podcast. When you're listening to this, you should be able to find uh, at least our first couple of episodes. We did a long... So our first two episodes are probably longer than most of our episodes are going to be. Definitely. The first one is about two and a half hours, and it involves basically you and I just going through and giving the listener a sense of where our tastes are at, like the mu- the films that formed our aesthetics and the films that the sort of current artists that we follow and are excited about and who we consider some of the greatest for, you know, just sort of in the world, just to give a sense of like, oh, do you want to follow along with us in this exploration? And the second one yeah. is... We talk for about most episodes. We talk for about an hour about the film that we're covering, and that's what we do with this, the film Mad Dog Time. But then we got very lucky, and the film's writer director Larry Bishop, who I don't believe has ever given any extensive interviews about that film, at least not in the states. And he got on the phone with me, and we talked for about well, he talked for about two and a half hours about not just his film and everyone in it, but his just wildlife in Hollywood as the son of Joey Bishop and as the star of multiple biker epics from the late sixties and early seventies. And just, yeah, so many great stories. And so that one runs even longer, three and a half hours. So I can pretty much promise that the Paperboy episode, even if we get someone like Lee Daniels or Matthew McConaughey or someone like that to talk to us, I can't imagine that they're going to talk to talk to us for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. yeah so, it, it, but that's a really great way to get a to get a taste of what we're going to be offering. And if you like Radio Eight Ball, I hope you'll like the World Is Wrong podcast. And if you like the World Is Wrong podcast, you're definitely going to like the Director's Wall podcast with Brian Connolly and AJ Gonzalez. Anything else you want to tell the people before we shuffle off to the backstage? Uh, Just stay safe and love one another. Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening with our guest, Brian Connolly. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app. And if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store. And finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my Pop Oracle reading, where I asked 
is probably kind of obvious and self-serving, but uh, this is the bonus episode, so just deal with the people. Here we go. <laughs> Will the world be right about the world is wrong? The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with a few minutes from the first episode of the World is Wrong podcast. I hope you'll check it out and subscribe. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. On the other side of the cosmos, in deep space, a parallel universe was born. Vex world. It was joyful. It was full of joy. Vix world was goddamn fucking full of joy. I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Got the string around my finger What a world What a life I'm in love. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World Is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Mad Dog Time, a.k.a. Trigger Happy. Brian, tell tell the people what this podcast is. This is the extremely positive podcast known as The World is Wrong, where we champion cinematic art that has been unjustly maligned or ignored by popular culture and opinion. And who are you? I'm Brian Connolly. And I'm Andras Jones. And uh, and I chose this film. Today we're starting off with, with my film. Sorry, I'm going off the script because I wrote it so I'm, <laughs> I can break it. Uh, hey, you know... <laughs> So, so, but yes, I'm so excited. I'm chomping, chomping at the bit because, uh, because this is, uh, this is my favorite, my favorite film that nobody knows and no, and nobody but you understands or gets. <laughs> and why did you choose this movie? Why did you choose this as our first episode? This typifies the world is wrong type films. This is a film that I came across Back in the days of Hollywood video, not even Blockbuster. Wow. Hollywood video in Olympia. I used to, if I felt myself with like a cold or a flu coming on, I just would, I knew I was going to lock myself away and I would go to Hollywood <laughs> video and I would just get, you know, get 20 videos and I was going to, I just kept it, like kept them for a week. And this was one of them. It was under the title Trigger Happy. It was that, it, and it, uh, I just saw Richard Dreyfus and Jeff Goldblum and Ellen Barkin on the cover and I thought, oh. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always down for some Goldblum and some Dreyfus, and then but I had no idea that I was going to see uh, what I consider to be probably the greatest Jewish gangster film of all time. I mean, Bugsy is probably a better Jewish gangster film, but uh, Mad Dog Time is more Jewish because your your sexy leads are Richard Dreyfus and Jeff Goldblum and not Warren Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> and you just never see that. You never see t- sexy, tough Jewish gangsters. They're always the nebbishy. They're the smart guys. They're the accountants. 
they're the, you know, they're Meyer Lansky, the sort of cold, calculating business ones. But the sexy gunfighter gangsters, that always goes to the Italians and the Irish and, uh, <laughs> and everyone else. Basically, everyone else gets. So to me, it was just it, it was super exciting. And then everyone in it gets to give the performance that they've never given before. And the cast is incredible and we'll go through it. But I mean, everybody's in it. I mean, not everybody's in it. Everybody who's in it is someone who's amazing. Uh, from the most, from the big roles like Richard Dreyfus and Jeff Goldblum and Alan Barkin and Gabriel Byrne giving a performance that is, I, I think, it, I think he just, he's, it's one of those amazing, amazing performances, right? I mean, am I wrong? Is this he's, like. I, I, dare I say, this is his most interesting performance of all the gangster movies he did in the 90s. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then we'll go on about it, but like, yeah, his, the cast just gets deeper and deeper. There's nobody in the movie who's not somebody who you come to it with some, with, with, with a, a, there's all these associations with them, uh, from the opening scene where Michael J. Pollard, uh, spo spoiler alerts, uh, almost every, pretty much everyone in this movie dies. So when we say people die, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> it's just, they, this is the movie, the way the they die. <laughs> It's, it reminds me in a way of like the 70s disaster movies where it's like, let's throw all these famous people in a movie and then watch them all die. Yeah. Yeah. Except <laughs> this is by being so small, the actors get to be bigger. Like every one of these actors is their own towering inferno. <laughs> so, yeah, I could go on and on. Your dog is going crazy. Uh, your dog loves mad dog. It's mad dog time. It's mad dog time. That's what I told my dog. <laughs> so why don't you, uh, what, why don't you try to tell us the plot of this movie? It's kind of a, uh, it's, it's at once a very, very plot filled movie. And at the same time, doesn't really matter so much because it's just about a bunch of crazy people getting together. But you, you do your best. You tell me. Okay. Well, first I'm going to play a clip from the film. <laughs> Nothing else can He's dead. <laughs> <clears throat> I wish he was dead. And when I tell you what he told me, you'll wish that you were dead. Anyway, when Vic checked into that uh, clinic a couple of months ago, I thought, eh, he's going to have a little nervous breakdown, no big deal. But Vic... You're sick, Mick. Vic is a sick prick, Mick. Vic is a paranoid schizophrenic. Who would ever have thought it? Oh, Vic, a paranoid schizophrenic. And all this time I thought he was just a putz. Vic told me that God speaks to him all day and all night. In fact, he says he can't get a good night's sleep because God won't stop yakking. And here's the, here's the bombshell, Nick. Vic does not want you dead anymore. But God does. At least, that's what Vic claims. So, you're off the hook with Vic. But you're in deep shit with God. It's the Radio Wimp. 